Welcome and happy Friday. It's October 7th, 2016, and this is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I'm here with Mark Elwood, who was also here last week, um, and thank you for doing that, and thanks to Laura for hosting. Mark's a contributing editor for us, and we got two editors from the site, Sebastian Modak and Meredith Carey, both of whom are veterans of the podcast. I'm sure you're all deeply familiar with their uh, writing and their work and their they're singing and dancing. The topic of the week is where you should be going in October. It's very timely. We're now in October. Fall is here. And it's time for all of our summer travels to become memories. And we're now looking forward to the fall. We're now looking forward to the winter. And I think also, you know, this kind of stems out of a piece you did for us this week, Mark, as well as a bunch of other work that we've been doing on the site because of the seasonality. But I think we should also tell people a little bit about where they could be planning to go this month because there are some things to be aware of that we could touch on during the podcast. So, Mark, let's get into it. You did an article for us. You did and a, a Facebook Live. I've talked about this in yeah, every possible did a medium. Facebook Live. So, on the site, come check out Mark's piece. Why don't we start with that? Because it's a really concise, you know, and I, and I thought you had a really nice selection of things here um, that we can talk about. First of all, what are the macro kind of elemental things that you th- think about when you think about fall travel? Well, when we talked about fall travel, obviously we're back in shoulder season, which is that magical time when if you play your cards right, you end up paying much less and getting great value. So Explain you, what shoulder season is. So shoulder season is an old-fashioned travel industry term where peak season or high season is when the prices are highest. Low season is when the prices are lowest. Shoulder season is in between the two as you blur between them. And that's when, if you work the system well, you end up paying more low season prices, but you get high season benefits. So we're here, I think that's sort of what we're here to do is sort of tip you off to the way to do that. And Mm. when we were talking about where to go in October in Travel Here Now on Facebook Live, please check that out, and on the site, it was all about thinking, especially in America, thinking about great shoulder season destinations and also about San Francisco, which is, I don't know if if any listeners can tell me this because I've covered San Francisco in detail for more than a decade. And I know that September and October are the time that the San Francisco crazy weather calms down and you end up with yeah. beautiful weather. Yeah. And I've, I don't know anyone who's ever been able to explain that to me. No meteorologist. <laughs> and there's no, there's, I don't think there's any proof in the microclimate, but one of the destinations we recommended for that weird truism is San Francisco. It's October. It's not as expensive, but it's kind of better than August. So don't ask why. Just go. But I I hope someone listening, maybe someone listening can tweet us and and let us know. Because I did research this quite extensively when I was writing guidebooks to San Francisco and when I wrote this piece. And I just couldn't find anything that I believed. I mean, I think there were superstitions. (laughs) But if anyone does know, please tell me. The other couple of stateside destinations we talked about was... Key West and New Orleans. New Orleans also has great weather in October. Great. Yeah. Um, New Orleans is really damp the whole time. Mm. I was there in July for Tales of the Cocktail. It poured for two days. And if it's not pouring in July, it's brutally, brutally hot. hot yeah. Whereas in October, it's balmy mm-hmm. and less humid. And I think the rain the rainfall is like under three three inches or something. Um, and it's also a fantastic Halloween destination. I've yeah. been there for Halloween. And it feels like the entire city puts a costume on. Sort of New Orleans is wearing a costume. So that was a great... Has anyone else been there? Yeah. I, I, uh, there was a period in my life where I went almost every other month. So um, <laughs> For music? For music, also because 
my girlfriend lived there at the time. So it was one of those long distance relationships, which could be a whole other topic for a podcast. <laughs> um, and let's do it. <laughs> yeah, October, I feel like was the perfect time. I mean, you can be like New Orleans is funny because it's a walking city in a lot of ways, or at least certain parts of it are. But then there are entire months of the year where you don't want to be outdoors for more than, you know, 20 minutes. And October is one of those nice, sweet spots where you can be outside. It isn't that hot. Um, and like you said, Halloween is its the place to be. There's also a festival around Halloween that happens called Voodoo Fest, which is a lot of fun. And like most kind of music festivals in New Orleans, they do a great job of bringing in the big name DJs and indie rock acts, but also keeping it very local. So on the same lineup, you can have the Arcade Fire and Preservation Hall Jazz Band, mm -hmm. you know? Which is amazing. I mean, music, New Orleans, I think when I first went to New Orleans, I assumed its reputation for loving music was one of those marketing tactics that but you're like... But it's so real. But it's so real. <laughs> so and real. so if I if I were to go to a music festival, I'd go to one in New Orleans because you're going to get this crazy eclectic programming mm -hmm. and you're probably going to love the weird local band you'd never heard of who are a violinist and a ukulele player. And a washboard player. And who knows? Yeah. You, so, so there's music that month is great. The other, just because I should run through the five we have, and then I'd love you guys to tell me what I missed out. I want to come back um, to San Francisco for sure. Okay, we'll come back to that. We uh, we have Key West. Key West, I've been going to Key West, again, to write guidebooks. I started about 15 years ago. And when I went 15 years ago, it still was full of, not the dropouts, but the edge of the worlders yeah. who had filled it up in the 80s and 90s. B.O.'s fish wagon, you know, made out of old junk. A lot of that has streamlined, but one of the few things that remains is Fantasy Fest, which started in 1979 and is kind of like a human cartoon. <laughs> um, it is deeply inappropriate, very R-rated, very witty. It reminds me of a carnival in Europe, like Virgil Carnival, mm -hmm. or it's satirical. So it's a lot of nudity and a lot of really, really good jokes. So it's sort of this amazing, it feels, it's like nothing I've experienced anywhere else in the world. You mentioned in the article that maybe it's diluted a bit in recent history, has it? They or have does it still they have, have its edge? Do you know, they've, they have tightened the rules over the new team, because I mean, it used to be very much anything goes. I think Key West in general has wanted to become a little bit more mainstream, and I think they've tried to do that. But if you go for Fantasy Fest, you're gonna get the best glimpse of old Key West. If do not go if you're easily offended, it will they will offend. Or like with a family. But like I think yeah. you could say that you could say that about all of the three cities that you just named, I was say at least around were. Halloween, right? Like yeah. because San Francisco has a, uh, and we we can run through the rest and we, then we can come back. But there's also a Halloween party in San Francisco in the Is Castro that, hmm. that uh, maybe they stopped doing it. But I lived there for ten years and it happened every year and it was it was just outrageous outrageous and in the manner that you're describing it was just all kinds of crazy stuff lots of nudity lots of burlesque lots of you know kind of crazy that the streets would get so crowded and it was not the kind of thing that if you were easily offended or squeamish or like whatever we're not ready for all of humanity to kind of be out there partying and having a great time like everybody was having a really good time but the, the vibe was very positive but it was definitely like you were going to see naked people but halloween is gay christmas and and you know those are <laughs> those are three very lgbt friendly cities yeah. and i think you're sort of you're sort of seeing a kind of like RuPaul's Drag Race-esque yeah, yeah. performance, you know, performance element. And that's, I think that's joyous. If you go in, I think if you go in open-minded, it's very hard not to be charmed by the Halloween 
celebrations in any of those cities. But, you know, this year, Fantasy Fest's theme is political because, of course, it's the election. Mm. And they will, if you're a Republican, you're an independent, you're a libertarian, you're a Democrat, everyone will be satirized. You know, there's there's no no safe harbor. And I think if you go in knowing that, that's amazing. Yeah. Where else? Key West, New Orleans, San Francisco. So domestically, the two international destinations we talked about I spent a lot of my childhood in Italy, and one of the nicest ways to experience Italy is in the fall, because the weather is still pretty reliable, but the huge crowds have gone, the international crowds, British and Germans. The Italians are back in their own place. They're not at the seaside away from their home, so you're getting the real country. And it is just, it's still warm enough to walk around, and you're getting the, the grape harvest. So in Tuscany, for example, you can go and because of the agriturism, the way it's set up, mm-hmm. you can actually end up staying on farms where you can pitch in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In that lovely, I mean, you're not going to be rolling up your sleeves and sort of, you know, Crushing stomping grape. grapes for your, for, your, for your bed and board. But there's a lovely way that you can really integrate. And the olive harvest and there is some truffle stuff going on. And it's just a lovely time to go to Italy if you want real warmth. This is, I always think it's interesting. There are little bits of the Mediterranean that we forget how far south and east they are. And places like Malta and Cyprus, which we recommended this month, are really hot in October. Hmm. Malta's average daily temperature is over 80 degrees. So it's having like a nice last little oh, grasp of summer. I mean, it's and it, it's almost better than in July because July it's so hot. Yeah, almost. No, I think it's definitely <laughs> better than in July. But but I also I think with Cyprus it's interesting because Cyprus for Britain is a very common destination. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it really looms quite large for the British. There's a big Turkish and Greek Cypriot community in Britain, um, and I know many people who would go to Cyprus, but. It's interesting to look at it less as just a package holiday kind of sun-seeking destination and more, you know, it does have one of the European cities of culture this year, is in Cyprus, and it has a lovely hinterland. The inland is a bit like the Berkshires. It's so bucolic and full of villages and kind of untouched by time in a way the Greek islands are. Mm -hmm. Some of the Greek islands can be. And I think also for an American, you know, as we talk to our domestic audience, I know we have people who listen overseas, but if we talk to our domestic audience, I think Cyprus is an unexpected place to think Mm -hmm. of because I don't think it's quite on the radar. Do you agree? I mean, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think so too. And I think when you were, you know, talking about these Mediterranean destinations that you kind of forget are so far south and kind of have their own climates going on, because you associate them with Europe and you think of, you know, the Black Forest or something. I immediately thought of southern Spain as well and the Costa del Sol especially. Um, And again, for some, you know, maybe inexplicable microclimate reason like San Francisco, the weather there stays really well, especially in the region. um, Does it? Yeah, around Marbella especially. And it's the same kind of thing. You could go there with the crowds of British and German tourists and party your face off. But if you go a little bit inland, kind of like what you were saying about Cyprus, you see this whole other part of Andalusia, you know, these old white towns that are still have all the Moorish architecture intact. Um, but this is, um, my parents went to Marbella in the early 60s mm-hmm. before the Costa del Sol was so built up. And I remember they went because it had a reputation for being so beautiful. And you realize the reason it became rather overrun on the coast is because it was so, so amazing beautiful. to go to. <laughs> that, that wasn't arbitrary. So if you, if you dive a bit deeper, that's great. 
No, and I just got back from Italy this past weekend right. and can tell you that I was still on the beach in September, which was pretty crazy for Where me. Where were you? Um, so I was in, I stayed in Levanto and then was going in and out of Cinque Terre the whole week and it was so stunning and I basically just set my office up under an umbrella and uh, had a and great how, time. How, how warm was it, Mary? Um, I would say it was, yeah, it was in the like low 80s and then once I got inland to Florence, it would get colder at night, maybe 60s, but that's still such it's a still beautiful, yeah. beautiful. No, because Cyprus will be cold at night, but yeah. during the day, you just you just take that's it kind of like part a, of the fun, though, isn't that? Right? But yeah. that means at night you can kind of wear a gorgeous outfit, <laughs> sweater weather, <laughs> sweater weather, sweater weather. You get the best of both worlds. Yeah. The other thing that happens in September, I, got, I so I got married in September on the Italian Riviera, so not in the Cinque Terre, but like kind of close to that. And I think that what happens is all the Italians are gone. They're back in the wherever they are working, and so the beaches are much clearer. You tend to only get the people who are sort of weekenders coming out from you know Janova or wherever. And the the weather, you know, they get freaked out. The Italians get freaked out, and like that's my family, so I can say this. <laughs> but they get freaked out about the possibility of rain, which is higher in September than it is in August. Like it's just you are going to get storms, you are going to get showers, and there will be nights in particular where the temperatures are going to drop and you need to put a sweater on or you need to put a shirt on. And, you know, I think that that's actually an opportunity because people like us are used to that. And that's not really a problem. You get nice warm weather in the day for the most part. Maybe you deal with a shower every now and then, but you get this really kind of amazing, less crowded experience of those places that are so crowded a lot of the time. So it's a, it's a great time to go. And some of the some of the the seasonal non-stops that especially run from the east coast are out of commission by October. So you might have a slightly because Delta runs a, a Pisa flight in the summer. Um, in by October, that flight has gone on hiatus. Mm-hmm. I think the Venice flight has also gone on hiatus. But you know what? You can still you can fly. KLM to Amsterdam from Atlanta. You can oh, do yeah. whatever. It's it's so yes, it takes a little bit more effort to get there than it might have done in high season. But, you know, flight prices at the moment are very reasonable. But if you're going to Liguria, which is, you know, where the Cinque Terre are, where um uh Camogli is, which is where I got married, which is a kind of like less discovered, you know, like town and like ridiculously beautiful, you can fly into Milano and like rent a car and drive down. It takes like But two would and you and a drive hours. in Italy? I the last time I drove in Italy, <laughs> it's I just thought freeway. I'd, it's I'd, actually fun. That's like the safari. Do you enjoy? No. <laughs> do you enjoy jumping on the New York subway line just to, just to see if you can oh, get you out of the go, way of the train? Rent a, we t- we did a podcast on this. Rent a nice car, like rent yourself a nice, mm-hmm. you know, one of the higher end Fiats or a nice BMW mm-hmm. or whatever. And then just kind of like, no, but what chance happens? to go I'm really sorry. fast. What happens in Italy? And I can say this because, I, I, again, I speak. Oh, here, Italian. we're going like to fight I'm, now. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a rube about Italy. I love Italy. I've worked there. I've just, but when you drive in Italy, people drive in the middle of the road. And on then, the highway? No, on the freeway? On the highway, but whenever you have to go off the highway, which you do a lot, <laughs> you drive down the middle of the road till you're really close to someone, and then you swerve onto your lane. It's it's terrifying. But on the, so I would make the case that actually freeway driving, and which is what you're going to mostly do between Milan and mm. you know, Liguria. I'd get the train. The train is the only oh, thing the in train Italy. Is fine. Sure, the it's going to take you a long time. Until there's a time. train strike, yeah, which happened to me while I was there. So just like be, pay attention, it's regardless also, of what your transportation. That is. particular route too, I think, is also going to get. And especially once you get down to Liguria, it's really nice to take the train down there. But it will take you all day mm-hmm. to go from like Genova out to where the Cinque Terre are, yeah. or where Levanto is. Levanto. I'm going to say it right. Levanto. Sorry about that. No, I <laughs> I said it wrong. Um, the other thing I would throw out there at this time of year is Piemonte, 
while we're talking about mm-hmm. Italy, which is which again you can reach by getting into Milan and then yeah, heading down because you went. No, I. I just you're raising your hand. I it's something a, this to is, say. Okay. Which is that Emirates is having their basically every six months there is a flight deal from New York to Milan that's crazy cheap that is currently 475 round trip and that's insane can I just say the availability is October 13th through mid-December so if you're gonna go that's that's a a $1,200 flight and if you think that's a New York flight but think about even if you're connecting in this this time of year is a cheap time to Mm -hmm. fly anyway so even if you have to tack on a, a, domestic. a transcontinental domestic. Exactly. You are still getting, and of course, we love Emirates as an yeah, airline. Emirates is great, right? Well, there's plenty of airlines right now also doing these crazy flash sales for domestic flights, too. Yeah, I mean, JetBlue. JetBlue just had one, one where yeah. they were having one way flights for like $34. So yeah. you can get to New York and fly out and still yeah. be very yeah. under budget. Yeah, you know? definitely. Scott's cheap flights. Yes. <laughs> but, um, Scott we all swear, we all, we Scott all swear, we all swear by it. <laughs> yes. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, you go to the Truffle Festival in Alba. They're doing the wine harvest. There's olive oil everywhere. There's olive oil even on on the Ligurian coast and down in the um, on the southern parts too. So it is a really good time to go and do all that. It's a different kind of Italy. It's not the beach and it's not the summer time that you're used to. And I think it's actually great. You get to eat a lot of like wild boar and you get to eat you know the sort of cuisine, especially in Tuscany and Piemonte. The cuisine is really really great for fall. It's just like perfect for it. The other thing I was going to say is you mentioned Malta which I think, like Cyprus, for Americans in particular, but even for a lot of Europeans, is an undiscovered, kind of like very, very southern, you know, it's below Sicily. It's, and, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, well, what's interesting, I think what's easy to, again, overlook about Malta, as a British person, Malta also looms quite large there because historically, you know, Queen Elizabeth famously moved to Malta when she got married, and the only time in her life that she was able to be a real person was, I think, the 18 months she spent as Prince Philip's wife when he was at the naval station there because Malta has always been a staging ground for the British military. The knock-on from that is you're going to a very foreign culture. Malta is yeah. Arab-influenced and crazy Those, kind yeah. of... The, that history is... Fat, like, it's a Knights Templar the and all pong, that. It's ping-pong yeah. between cultures. But the, the penetration of English is so so deep mm. that when you get there, the great thing is you can actually talk to people much more easily. So yeah. you're going to somewhere very alien that you can explore very easily. What's the appeal? I mean, are there beaches? Is it... There's everything. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it is... It is. I would, I would compare to Cyprus, I would say that Malta... Is skews a little bit older. It's a it's a Madeira style destination. It tends to it, it's not a family destination. It's more for empty nesters. Mm-hmm. It's great because it's sort of walkable. Malta and Gozo. It's little. It's tiny little kind of you know the Pluto and, and Charon kind of, of island. Nice. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, um, but it, but it's a very it's a very and you'll find Marks and Spencer there. I mean there's there are British <laughs> brands there. Huh. But its history is so eclectic. And it's the, the, the ruins there and everything incredible. Hmm. Yeah. So then now let's come back to our domestic destinations. And you mentioned in your recommendation for San Francisco something very close to my heart. Um, you were talking about October being this like amazing month. And it is. I lived there for a decade. And, you know, October was always easily the best month of the year. Beautiful. And one of the things that I associate with that, uh, you mentioned the San Francisco Jazz Festival. And I worked there for eight of the 10 years that I lived in San Francisco. So very close to my heart. How did that come to your attention? Because when I was working and living part time in San Francisco, I knew that it was 
one of the unheralded gems of the city because it, it San Francisco Jazz Fest is so overshadowed by the Monterey Jazz Fest, which is so is sort of the eight hundred pound. I need a musical analogy, so but like eight hundred pound gorilla. <laughs> I'm not sure where you're going. Eight hundred pound gorilla, the double bass, exactly the double bass. The double of, bass. Um, and it, it really over it overshadows anything else. And what I always loved about the San Francisco Jazz Fest was that it was way better than the Monterey one. Sorry, <laughs> because it had that nimbleness. It wasn't under the spotlight it could do interesting things and i always thought of of all the annual events in san francisco it was always one of my favorites well that is of course it was um <laughs> i didn't know you no, that, so like no but i i i i'll do the spiel like the difference between monterey and the san francisco jazz festival because i used to like write the marketing materials um is that the San Francisco Jazz Festival at least evolved in its beginning, and I think still the festival does this, even if a lot of the annual programming doesn't do it, is takes place throughout the city. So what we would do is we would use venues. You know, San Francisco has a legacy of jazz that a lot of people are not necessarily familiar with. It was one of the West Coast premier sort of outlets during the heyday of jazz back in the 40s through the 60s and into the 70s. Um, and there were sort of classic, classic venues that were part of that. And so we would use those venues to to present music from all over the world as well as local music. It has a very thriving, or did have, a very thriving local scene as well. And then we would bring in people from around the world and we would use you know, gigantic venues like um, the Masonic Center and we would use uh, Grace Cathedral. We had some amazing shows in Grace Cathedral and you would sort of match. We had the ability by doing that to match the performance with the venue in a way that made them super complimentary and could result in really kind of magical things like we had Charlie Hayden and Dewey Redman in Grace Cathedral just kind of doing a duet, which was just this kind of beautiful, amazing thing. The thing that has changed for them now is that they have a home base. So, you know, when I was there and I left when I moved here uh, in 2002, we had this model of presenting all around town and we were presenting year round, but the festival was really kind of like where all of the uh, energy happened. We had started fundraising um, and planning for a venue of our own. We were always envious of the, 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 the symphony, the ballet and the other artistic organizations that had their own place. And so we had started this program that had been many years in the, in the works. And eventually, two or three years ago, they actually finally completed it. And so there is an SF Jazz Center there now. And they can present. It gives them a home base to present. And there are at least two different – the best place to find out about all this is what Mark pointed to in the article, which is sfjazz.org. But there are multiple venues within this particular venue. So much like Jazz at Lincoln Center here, there's like a, a big hall and then there's a smaller space or multiple smaller spaces. So they can do many different kinds of things. But I would love to hear if, there, if we've got any listeners who love SF Jazz and if they've got any favorite things they're looking forward to this year. Because I think it's a real a beloved institution in the city. And I'd love to know. We have our perspectives. But if anyone's been, please tell us what you love about it. Because I think it's, if you, it's a real, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a standout. Yeah. Well, I think something else in California that one of our writers brought to my attention that's on the website right now is that Sonoma and just like Napa Valley in general has amazing fall foliage. Ooh. And so there's like a bike tours you can go leaf on. Leaf peeping in California. A leaf peeping in California where the grapevines and the ginkgos actually change colors, um, which I would have never thought you think East Coast all the way. I mean, yeah. there are companies that are f offering, you know, private jet people from the West Coast to the East Coast just to see fall foliage, but there is some small pocket of amazing 
That's fascinating nature. because I think I think it's easy to assume that I'm very guilty of assuming California is seasonless because of Southern California mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and sort of thinking of that L.A., you know, perennial kind of similar temperatures. But that would be beautiful. I think Sonoma, driving around Sonoma mm-hmm. right now would be amazing. As really. someone from Texas who, I mean, like our season is... It's summer, and then one day all the leaves just decide to fall off the trees, and they're still green. Like, I mean, that's one of my favorite parts of living in the Northeast is that, you know, the trees actually. I have my favorite. I have a favorite thing I did in Sonoma. There is a day spa there called Osmosis, and it has a Japanese enzyme treatment where you lie on a bed of wood chips, you climb in. And they cover you in more wood chips. We're going to have to laugh at you. <laughs> Everyone in this is yes, so incredible. just incredulous. going to have to. You're making and this up. No. And it's Japanese. What kind of wood? Uh, it's cedar wood. Uh, so it smells delightful. And you lie in it, and they come in with glasses of water and a, a, you know, a straw so you can sort of sip it. It's a bit like, you feel like a very rich person, you know, peel me a grape. And you lie in it for sort of 20 minutes, and it purges all of your toxins because this enzyme eats the wood pulp and generates Does it heat. purge all of your evil deeds as well? <laughs> no, it's not. There's no, no, it's, it's not a, um, a shamanic new age thing, which, which Sonoma is really known for. This is a Japanese, and I'm, again, I'm sure some of our listeners will have come across it. It's a Japanese tradition and it's a hot spa and you come out and you are so dizzy and so it's so intense because it's like a it's like a steam room but your personal one and I loved again you're like they're still laughing <laughs> please if someone has tried it but I, I, won't, I won't knock it till I try it <laughs> yeah but um, speaking of Japan I have never I'll, full disclosure I've never been to Japan it's been on my list for a long time I haven't gone beyond Narita Airport but one of the arts events that we were looking at that are happening this fall is happening in Setuchi in Japan. Um, it's called the Setuchi or Setauchi Art Festival. And it's a triennial? Tri- triennial? Triennial. Triennial. So it happens every three years. <laughs> and uh, it happens throughout the year. So there's a spring edition, summer edition, and a fall edition. And the fall edition starts tomorrow um, and goes until the beginning of November. And it happens in this kind of inland sea that are between the islands of Honshu and Shikoku. And it happens between these kind of tiny islands within so that inland I've, sea. I've been, I've been there. Oh, take it away, Mark. <laughs> of course you have. <laughs> so the Satuchi, the, in that, the, it's Have now, you been there for the festival or you're just um, there? I haven't chance? been, the, I've been to Naoshima, which okay. is the anchor island. And it is in my top three greatest travel experiences ever. Now imagine if each of those tiny islands had art installations put up and galleries and so music what events. happened and this is the thing what the the behind the, the billionaire behind this project owns Bullitt's language schools and Mm -hmm. he is an unlikely billionaire because his wealth is from very esoteric sources and he believes that art is better than religion he believes art is a spiritual experience and he uses his money to promote that theory I'm just like that guy except for the 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 billions the money situation (laughs) exactly like him but when you go to these islands you are walking through rural Japan and you will think, is that a trash can or is that a trash can installation? <laughs> and there is art around you. There are Monet water lilies with a James Terrell site-specific piece together in this su- in this specially constructed. This sounds like my dream. <laughs> it's a, it's the most extraordinary. But what I would tell you is, if you can't go at the last minute for this festival, although it is great to go for the Triennial, and I'm very jealous, I'd love to try that. It is to go to Naoshima is the most magical experience, no matter what. 
And it's very easy. You take the bullet train from Tokyo, then mm-hmm. you take a little bit of a local train, and then you take a ferry. It's like going to Fire Island from New York. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> sounds like, yeah. Slow, yeah. slow, slow. And you get there, and you, even the local onsen is an art piece. So when you go to the, the bathing house, it's all been designed by an artist. And every time someone leaves the villages in Naoshima, who is not employed by the hotel because they're very pro-social. They look after the local. Yeah, people. I was I was reading that too about the festival that a lot of the basically oh, all the money it, gets invested it's, right it's back no, into it's the a very, community. It is a very benevolent. There is nothing uncomfortably sort of nouveau riche about this mm-hmm. at all. So this is why we can kind of encourage it, encourage it. Every time a villager leaves the village for whatever reason, Mr. Fukutake buys his house, his or her house, and gives it to an artist to do something. Oh, with. that's so cool! That's that's amazing. So cool. That is so. Whatever cool. they feel like. Yeah. So slowly, the it's sort of like this art is kind of taking it's over. Like a wonderland this. or yeah. something. Yeah. And it's it is, like, it is, it is like nowhere else I've ever been. And I went. A friend of mine, an artist, Teresita Fernandez, she had a, a piece being installed there, and I went to cover her installation, and I it was a pinch me moment. So Naoshima Satoshi. Absolutely. It's really funny because I brought it up being like, this is cool. And now suddenly it's like risen to the top of my <laughs> bucket so. list. I truly, and I, there are very few places that I can say so unreservedly. I think anyone would enjoy it, but anyone would enjoy that. It is yeah. the most magical place. Wow. I'll put in a plug for uh, a local plug for the Storm King Center, which oh, I think absolutely. does many of the same things. Obviously, a completely different model and whatever, but the, the the notion of site-specific artwork, and especially at this time of year, I think this is the best time of year to go up there because the leaves will be changing. It's absolutely stunning, it's unbelievable. and the, the I've never I've never experienced anything like that. And we're you know we're talking about works by Alexander Calder, Maya Lin, the, the Maya Lin sort yeah. of like earth waves thing that's there is mind blowing and. It's just like a, a fantastic place if you're in the Connecticut, you know, northern New Jersey, New York area. It's about a two-hour drive, isn't it? Like, give or take. And and one little pro tip, if you arrive in a zip car, which I have done on numerous occasions, you get a pretty sizable discount. Really? Because they have a partnership. It's it's just an amazing place. and I, But I think you're making a great point, Brad. I think that um, the fall is a lovely time. When the weather holds, mm-hmm. especially in, pla- you know, in Texas, in places that are that are hotter, you don't want to go to outdoor art installations. You don't want to go to Marfa in August because it's so hot. Oh, gosh, no. But by shoulder season, <laughs> no, exactly. But by shoulder season, you actually are getting, this is sort of art season. Mm-hmm. And you can really enjoy those outdoor experiences mm-hmm. without baking or freezing. Mm-hmm. The other plug I wanted to give is one that was in the news this week, which is the the Broad Museum out in L.A., which we've covered a lot and which just was named... Except, what was the the naming? Oh, he's going to look it up. <laughs> just wait, this can be edited, right? Let's make this seamless. No, it was the, it was the top culture but destination. I forget the name of the organization that the, named the it. The top though. culture destination of 2016. And I bring it up because... You know, L.A. isn't necessarily an, an autumnal destina- destination specifically, but it's certainly a good time to go. But what makes the Broad, when I went to the Broad in the spring, what makes the Broad so brilliant is that as a site-specific building, Dilla Scavidia and Renfro built the building to not only display the artwork, but to store it. Mm-hmm. So every, yes. everything is on site. And as you go up these escalators, which sort of whisk you into the womb of the building, you feel very much you're sort of going through mm-hmm. the curtain. Mm-hmm. You pass big glass windows and you can see the rest of Eli's holdings downstairs. Just in storage, essentially. That is a very cool moment. And I actually didn't see it until I was on the way out because you go in and you go up the escalator. I was there last uh, Friday, you know, because I was out in LA for other things. But the other thing that I loved about it is that it's basically all of the collection anyway is on one floor. 
And so it's very tight. And I, f- I found this to be actually, I'd spent a lot of time at the Whitney recently, the new Whitney, um, which is great, but which is big and has a lot of art. And the MoMA has a lot of art. And they should, and that's like appropriate for them. But it's kind of overwhelming. And what I loved about the Broad, and which is true of other, you know, like the Portland Museum of Art is this way, where the edit is so tight that everything is great. The fact that they only have this one floor, and it's still, it's Los Angeles. I'm sure they have tremendous resources, but they've only got one floor. They only have so much wall space, so many galleries. It forces them to make harder decisions about what's up at any one time, and that means that everything is awesome, and the entire experience was great. Like, I just loved everything that I saw. It's, I, have a, I have a trip to one of my favorite cities, to Pittsburgh, in, in November, and I'm making a pilgrimage for a show at the Warhol Museum, which is another mm. one of my favorite museums in America, because it's not too big. Yeah, And I don't mean that in a lazy way, but exactly that sense that because the footprint is smaller, it just makes the edit tighter, the curation. A friend of mine was the director for a long time, and it's a brilliant, brilliant setup. And Pittsburgh is is one of my favorite overlooked cities. And I think Pittsburgh is great in the fall as well. That's another city that's gonna you're gonna get leaves nearby. You're gonna get you know sort of that cold air, and it's it's a cold weather city in a way, right? Like you don't want to go to Pittsburgh in July or August. <laughs> so the perfect time. To go. One last uh, kind of pair of event callouts I want to make is. Paris in the fall, which is pretty nice too. Um, <laughs> Casual, yes. And it's a low risk statement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, later this month, there are two events happening literally back to back. That if you're into music and you're into chocolate, which most people are, it sounds like a good little yes, another good, low good, risk good little trip. Another low risk. I'm really playing it safe yes. here. Um, Pitchfork is having their Pitch, oh, Pitchfork Paris in Festival. In the family. In the family, in the building. Um, this is the first one, right? Yeah, October 27th to 29th. They'll be in Paris. And, you know, it has... Why am I not going to this? <laughs> so I why, why aren't I going to this? <laughs> I'm an extremely important person. Arts why is am I not going to this? <laughs> um, you are, are you on the arts beat? Yeah. Oh. Uh. <laughs> and the tech beat. Yeah, we all have multiple beats. we got to wear multiple hats, yeah. right? So can fly you out there in some special plane. There, there you go. The arts tech feed. Hypersonic. Arts, I want a hypersonic trip to Paris. <laughs> yeah. um, the lineup is pretty ridiculous. It's got, you know, big names, MIA, DJ Shadow, Explosions oh my in God, the Sky. DJ Shadow? DJ Shadow, remember See, him? You, d- yeah. Yeah. Do I remember him? <laughs> I am so much older than you. <laughs> I'm saying it as in, like, it's been a while since you've day. heard that name. I'm saying it, it's been a while since you've heard of that Do name. Do you remember DJ Shadow? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I don't um, think it's interesting DJ to the same. Shadow was awesome. It's interesting. It is awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. It's interesting to think the Pitchfork would choose Paris as a music destination because I don't think of France as a hotbed of interesting contemporary. Well, it's music interesting culture. that you say that because what I think they're doing, like, it's cool that they're doing a big music festival in somewhere besides Chicago, and it, they're picking Paris. But I think what's cooler is that in the days leading up to the main festival, they're also kind of having this mini festival called Pitchfork Avant Garde. That's going to be happening all over Paris in multiple venues, ah, and it's so going to cool. feature like okay. local artists, yeah. artists from around Europe, you know, more indie American artists who come over for it. So that's happening kind of in the week leading up to October twenty seventh before the main event. Um, so that's when you should really go. I mean, that are and you DJ send, Shadow. Are you send me. Um, yeah, you want? Well, I don't know. Do we have enough people to actually like make a website? <laughs> that should make it. How in many the hands? That should make it in the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. moving on Um, as soon as that actually in the middle of that festival starting on October 28th running until November 1st is the Salon 
do chocolate. I'm saying that in like a Colombian Spanish accent because I don't know if I don't speak French. Um, Salon du chocolat. <laughs> Salon du chocolat. It's again Spanish accent, Colombian. Okay. Um, it's one of the largest chocolate festivals How in the world. How do you have a Colombian French accent, by the way? I just don't have a French accent. I have a Colombian one because so you're doing the my Colum- mother is from Colombia. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Um, that's the other language I speak, not French. Uh, Colombian? <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> This is going off the rails, everyone. (laughs) Chocolate festival. Chocolate festival. Um, Yeah, so, you know, it's going to be chocolatiers from around the world, samples, you know, until you can't eat any more chocolate, chocolate education for kids and adults alike. So this is happening for, you know, a good four days what right would, around the same time. I was going to say, what I would festival. encourage people about Paris, I was a tour guide in Paris, and one of the things that always impressed me was how good and affordable hotels in Paris are. It is the best European city for small, cool, bargain Agreed. hotels. Agreed. So if you are looking for an affordable place to stay, there are multiple options that are 200 euros right in the center of town. Really cool. Small. The they'll guy be the small. Front, they're, but yeah, they're, the guy they're, in the front desk will know you. They also and, don't need to be amazing, right? Because if you're yeah. spending too much time in your hotel room in Paris, yeah. you're doing it wrong. But That's what right. I mean is there's a lot of options. I think there's a lot of hotel, there's a lot of hotel space in places people can afford to and want to stay. Yeah. So you're not compromising. And I think Paris is a great last minute destination for that. And mm-hmm. we have some great guides to Paris on the side, which will give you that kind of variety. The first ever Le Meridien, which was built to house Air France's staff when they were overnighting in Paris, is just, has just been massively renovated at the L'Etoile. It just reopened. So there's another. I love staying at that and hotel. And where is that? It's at L'Etoile. So it's right behind um, the Arc de Triomphe. There's a couple of metro stops behind on the yellow number one line. There's an enormous Le Meridien. If you've got Starwood points and you're worried about using them as the merger happens, burn them on that. <laughs> and you are. There's a great There's great aviation history because Le Meridien was built as Air France's dorms for its staff originally and that was the first hotel and it's just been massively renovated and if you keep your eyes open and like really are religious about checking flights deals pop up all the time in the past couple months to to paris so you'll Uh, yeah as long as you're flexible about your dates then you you should be totally and if not to paris in that time period it's somewhere else in europe and then you can find a connection pretty easily exactly so before we go let's give people some advice on where they should be planning ahead for right now and I'm thinking specifically, at least as one of the big things, if you are now is the time to be booking your Thanksgiving and your holiday travel, right? Um, because if you wait too long, the prices are going to go up and things are going to get crowded. And as we know, it's the Hunger Games. But so I, I think but that I, was your it's, yes, piece last year. A piece about the Hunger Games at Thanksgiving. But what I would always remind people in, um, is when you're booking peak season travel, there is a trick to getting a better flight price that often doesn't occur to people. The way the airlines allocate the seats on board, which is, you know, a, it is a, an alphabet soup of, of letters and codes. But all the major airlines have vacation arms of their company. And that is where they sell package deals of hotels and flights, which is a very common in Europe, for example. That's very common. It's less well known here, less mainstream here. Those seats are ring fenced. So often towards uh, peak seasons, if you're really stuck, even if you don't need an accommodation, 
hmm. look for the the flight and, wow. and accommodation package together. That's really interesting because I always see the package and I'm like, oh, I see the word that. package and I'm like, nope, not for me. <laughs> uh, but but, but, uh, but that's uh, interesting because it might end up actually just even if you don't even use the hotel, you don't have to use the hotel. Cheaper. It won't cancel your yeah. flight if you don't use the hotel. And you should always double check. Right. I book those packages all the time mm-hmm. because culturally I'm very used to doing mm-hmm. that. But at peak seasons, it's a great way wherever you, if you're going home, just double check because you yeah. never know how the pricing has worked out. It's great. To- Mark, I don't understand how you're not the richest man on earth. <laughs> you know so many things. I just love pretending I do. No, but that was true. That was true. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> everything else. Everything else we said today. Fact check. Total bullshit. <laughs> Anywhere else? Anywhere else? Is that? Is Sorry, that, that wasn't. Des- Meredith, what destinations would no, you talk so, about? So, um, in the magazine this month, we talked about the Blake, which is a new hotel opening in Towski Valley in New Mexico. Um, they don't have new hotels opening very often, so this is a pretty big deal. It's 80 rooms. Um, it's actually not opening till February, but it's already booking up. So, if you're interested in skiing, I have been there. I am a terrible skier, but if you are a good skier, it is the place to go. It is so nice. Um, and if you don't ski, I'm sure they have a lovely lodge but taos is is stunning taos is great it's stunning yeah anywhere else no? i think i always think that if you're doing a big trip think six months ahead because you want to keep an eye on those flight prices because you won't necessarily get the cheapest flight six months ahead right but you're within the window so have one of your flight alerts have, check it set an alert on kayak or follow fo watchdog six months ahead that big trip my trip to argentina i've in april i've already booked because yeah. i got a good price a domestic destination of the Caribbean, it's a three-month ahead because those those prices vary a lot less. And I personally would be looking, I'd be thinking, okay, am I going to go away at New Year or am I going to go the week after New Year? Now's the time to sort of work that out. And I'd be thinking about New Year. Um, yeah, where are, you, where are you thinking about for New Year? <laughs> Do you want to come with me, Brad? <laughs> uh, that's, that's a very leading question. I would have, a, I would have, I'm sure I would have all kinds of awesome insider deals if I did that. <laughs> Um, I for New Year, I've spent New Year in Key West. I've spent New Year in Miami. I've spent it in places that are really known for their New Years, and I actually think you're better off going somewhere like Pittsburgh that has no reputation for New Year, and you go somewhere and see how they do it because you're much more likely to be surrounded by locals rather than a whole load of other people who are there to find right. out how is Key West New Year. Right, yeah. or paying some giant cover charge to get into a crappy party. You know, you could be more in it. I want to give go back and give one plug though for fall um, to where we're at to New York. New York City is wonderful in the fall. Um, Agreed. You're not dealing with mounds of dirty snow like you do in the winter, nor are you dealing with you know mounds of hot garbage like you do in the summer. Um, it's, Sell the it, perfect, it's the perfect. It's the perfect little kidding. middle it, ground. New York in fall it doesn't suck. <laughs> it doesn't suck. Uh, Botanical Gardens is a wonderful time to go visit those. Um, up in the Bronx or the one in Brooklyn. There's some amazing exhibits coming up at the Whitney and at MoMA. And we're um, also, I'd like to say, you know, we're in One World Trade Center at the moment. And it, it walking around the 9-11 Memorial and this area, for the first time in about a decade, it feels almost back to yeah, a slight sense of totally. normalcy because the, the giant mall at the Oculus has opened. Almost all the memorial is completely... It's just a park rather than a building site in a park. So it's a lovely time to celebrate this part, of the reclaiming this mm-hmm. part of Lower Manhattan, which for so long was a building site in a very sad place. Now I think it's almost back to being in the fabric of New York. Right. You could be here after 6 p.m. and it still feels yeah. alive somewhat. 
you know. There are places to eat. There are places to get yeah. a drink, those kinds of things. I mean, I think between now and basically the end of December, New York is actually really good. Once January gets here, like, do not. <laughs> I don't know why anybody would come here in yes. July and August. Everybody who lives here, in, and sorry, New York, but, like, everybody who lives here in July and August is trying to get the hell out. It's not like anyone's offended. We all do. <laughs> yeah, but it, but, it's, but you're, you're right that I think people forget. I have a friend who just moved to New York, and I was explaining from London, and I said, you know, it's not really winter till January. It's not. So December will be chilly, but it won't be unpleasant. It's not. It's probably not going to snow. And October and November is this beautiful time beautiful. when you just stroll around. Oh, it's gorgeous. And yeah. in, a, in a city that's so walkable, New York is at its most walkable now. Yeah. 100%. Central Park is lovely. The museum. I mean, this is art season, so the museums are full of great stuff. So yeah. good time. Okay, that's a great note to end on. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are available on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher and everywhere that fine podcasts are to be heard. Visit us at cntraveler.com. Uh, you can find many of the things that we've just been talking about there. Look up Mark's name and you can find the piece that we were talking about that sort of anchored us here. We are also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube, CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. We've been very active on Instagram stories lately, so check those out. Um, and please tweet at us and send feedback and review us on iTunes. We really love the feedback and the input. Um, we have some engaged folks there, and we love hearing from you. Why don't we go around, tell people where to find you, Mark? You can find me on Twitter. I'm Mark J. Elwood with two L's. And please, we love hearing your feedback. Please tell us what you want us to talk about. And please, can someone explain to me the quirks <laughs> of San Francisco? I would love someone to definitively explain that. That would be so awesome. We will read your response. We will deliver your response on the podcast. <laughs> And you can find me, Meredith Carey, uh, on Twitter also, at oh hey there, Mayor. I'm at Seb Modak on Instagram and Twitter. And I am at Bradrick. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. Bye.